You know, good morning, Living Hope. You know, it's been a little while since we first heard about this coronavirus, COVID-19. It's been about 10 days since uh, we've been issued a stay-at-home order. I don't know about you, but I've been staying home most of the time, and I've uh, gotten out to do a little bit of grocery shopping, to take a walk around the block, and I'm here um, to stream with just a small group of people. It may not uh, be obvious to you at home, but uh, a portion of our service today was pre-recorded as we're trying to minimize the number of people in this space. You know, earlier this week, I sent out a survey just to see how you were doing And I discovered that there is a sense of overwhelming anxiety and a feeling of loss. Let me share with you some of the results. That 33% of you are experiencing or are worried about financial loss. I know that some have already been laid off and have lost their uh, business. 40% are experiencing a loss of community and isolation. 49% are worried about catching the virus, especially those who are in the healthcare industry and those who are worried about their aging parents. 49% are experiencing stress or anxiety with kids at home or just uncertainty of the future. And 50%, about half, are experiencing simply a loss of life. Nearly every person, nearly every single person 99% have indicated they are experiencing some sort of loss. Loss or anxiety over finance, health, life, or community. And so if you are watching this at home, I want you to know that you are not alone, that we are all experiencing this loss and anxiety together. You know, I'm not really sure how long it will take to so-called flatten the curve I'm not sure when life will get back to a new normal where we are not nervous about standing in a crowded line, playing basketball at the gym, sitting next to a stranger in a worship service, when we can uh, eat at a cafeteria in our campus, or uh, taking a walk in the neighborhood, and when someone is passing by and they intentionally cross to the other side of the street, that you're not thinking, is it because I'm Asian that they are thinking something? Or simply going back to living life? I don't know when things will get back to a new normal, but this is what I would wish for myself and for all of us here. That that at the end of it all, when we are at a new normal, we can sing. We can sing the same song that David sang in Psalm 103. Uh, Commentators believe that David wrote this particular song toward the end of his life, a life filled with tumult. This is how he begins this song with a chorus. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The term bless means barak. It it has uh, the sense of kneeling, bless, not only intellectually, as a mind game, not simply emotionally as an emotional response, but all that is within him, from his soul, he wants to bless the Lord. That's his reaction, and that's what he wants to remind himself of. It's because of whom God is. God who is faithful, God who is unfair, and God who is fatherly. 
If you have not done so yet, would you, in your living room, in, in your home, turn your Bibles or click on the app to Psalm chapter 103. David sings his song, begins and ends with the chorus, but there are three verses or stanzas. The first stanza, he talks about the faithfulness of God. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He does not want to forget who God is. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? David remembers that God is the one who forgives, heals, redeems, crowns, and satisfies. He takes the broken part of our lives, our iniquities, our diseases, our our pits, and he forgives, heals, redeems. He continues to pour goodness in our lives. You know, at a ripe old age, David, I'm sure, recalled his life and recalled some of the the pits of his life, some of the most challenging, some of the, the more painful times of his life. You know, we know of David defeating Goliath and how he became a king favorite, becoming a, a, um, a court musician and a general in Saul's army. But he also remembers the time when not too long after that, he became an, uh, an enemy, an object of wrath from the king Saul, so that he was driven from the court and had to run for his life. What a lot of people don't quite realize during that particular period of time, and it is a, just a minor kind of a, a thing, but it is something that, uh, that was meaningful to me, that while David was running from King Saul, there was an encounter in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 3 and 4, that he had to leave and run, but he had to take his parents with him in that run, And it says in 1 Samuel 22, 3 and 4, And David went from there to Mizpeh of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. His parents had to leave their home because they were in danger, but David could not afford to take him Uh, take them with him. And so what he did was he entrusted them. He had to leave them with other people. Uh, And what is ironic is he had to leave them with the Moabites, a a group of people that were not friendly toward Israel. I, I have a feeling that that was immensely difficult for David, not being able to care for his aging parents. You know, most of the people read the story of David and think that when David came back home that everything was okay. And that after all, Saul dies and David becomes king. But I want you to realize that although he came back, that there has been a sense of loss for him. That when he had come back, he had to bury his best friend, Jonathan, who had died in battle. That his wife... uh, had been taken away from him by the king. 
and that he had to wrestle with the fact that he couldn't care for his aging parents in their most critical time. You know, I was talking with a friend this week who pastors a church, and he talked about how one of his members had um, parents in Los Angeles who had caught the virus and they were in ICU. And what was so difficult about that church member is that they could not even visit their aging parents in the hospital. You know, I'd like to to say to all of us that everything's going to be okay. That uh, we don't really have to worry because God's going to protect all of us from all of these things. When I was reading the survey, there was a group of people who were staying home and there was a sense of loss and isolation from having stayed home. There's a boredom, a a loss of community. Uh, Some are staying home because they cannot work. There's another group of people who are going out, but there's a sense of anxiety out there. They're perhaps in healthcare and are worried about transmitting the virus to their kids or their parents. I wish I could say that nothing, nothing bad will happen to any of God's people, but that's not necessarily the case. Because David himself talks about being in the pit, his iniquity. What we can rejoice in and the reason why David could give blessing to the Lord is the same reason why Paul could. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7-10, through 10, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That's the first stanza. The second stanza, not only could David bless the Lord because God is faithful, but secondly, because God is unfair. He sings continually about the goodness of God, and he talks about and sings about the goodness of God in comparison or in contrast to his sinfulness. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How far is heaven from the earth? The Hebrews believe that 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 distance is infinite because they're in different realm. How far is east from the west? It is infinitely apart. They can never meet. They cannot be bridged unless by the love of God. In other words, God does not give us what we deserve. God is unfair. God is good. You know, perhaps when David was looking back in his own life, the the sin that uh, really struck him was the sin against uh, Bathsheba and Uriah. And and many of you already know the story. He he was married, but he lusted after the wife of one of his good friends. And he slept with her, and some commentators believe his royal rape, she could not resist She becomes pregnant, and in order to protect his own reputation, he has Uriah killed in battle. It was just a terrible, terrible sin. Eventually, uh, the Nathan 
the prophet Nathan confronts him and he confesses, repents. All of this is recorded in scripture and he sings about some of those times in the Psalms as well. You know, we believe that perhaps he was, because he was forgiven for his sins, everything was okay, but we read in scripture that the stain of sin remained with him. That the baby that was born by Bathsheba through adultery, adultery uh, dies after being born seven days later. That later on, one of his sons, Amnon, rapes one of his daughters, uh, Tamar, a half-sister. And David uh, is informed of what had happened, but does nothing, and Absalom, the full biological brother of Tamar, takes revenge and murders Amnon. And David still remains uh, somewhat distant from the whole thing. Why is it that David would not take action, not dispense justice on rape and murder? If you think about it, it's because that's exactly what he did, the stain of sin. I think the whole time, when, when things were happening uh, to him, David believed, well, I deserve all this because of the stain of sin. I think David is a unique individual because he understood the gravity of, of his own sins, but at the same time, he understood the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. As far as east is from the west, I want you to know that there's nothing, there's nothing that you have done in your life There's nothing that you could do in your life as horrible as it could be that God cannot and will not forgive as far as the east is from the west. The third stanza of this song is that God has been fatherly. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And the reason why we need this steadfast love, steadfast compassion is verses 14 through 16, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. David compares you and me to dust, flower, like grass, There's a fleeting quality about humanity. You know, we believe that we are permanent, that we are in control, but in reality, we are more helpless than we would like to think. You know, one of the things that people have agreed about is the sense of loss, and and that was probably the, the biggest loss that people were feeling. You know, I don't know if any of us thought that we would be where we are today, that so many things would have changed or have been canceled. Um, about a, a couple of weeks ago, I, I drove uh, to the, the high school in the city, Brea Linda High School, and on the way up the driveway, I saw this particular uh, set of banners. If you can show that. Grad Night 2020 Adventure Awaits. You know, for some reason, I saw that banner and uh, I got a bit sad. The class of 2020 this year won't have grad night. 
They won't have a yearbook. They won't have prom. There's perhaps a high school student from Berlinda High School who uh, had wanted to make a big promposal to uh, a girl that he had a crush on, but he won't have the opportunity. Perhaps the next best thing that he can do is uh, perhaps uh, DM her and say, hey, do you want to Zoom together? Maybe that's the new thing. I'm not sure. One of the, high, one of the youth kids uh, remarked during the survey this, I have to miss out on exciting events that were supposed to happen because I am promoting from eighth grade. I also worry that we might not go back to school and not all my friends are going to the same high school so I won't be able to experience school with them for one last time. You know, it could be something as simple as a junior high promotion or a new job or a Tokyo Olympic. We're realizing that we're not in control. I have seen weddings being canceled or postponed, funerals having been attended virtually and future plans being put on hold People have talked about being laid off or having to lay off employees or businesses downsiding. And listen, all this, and we haven't even heard what the doctors have told us is a surge yet. Our plans are volatile, like dust. David, though, can bless the Lord because of the love of God, verses 17 and 18. But, though we are dust, our plans change, are not transient. But, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children and those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Listen, almost everything in our lives, almost everything in our lives, we are discovering our transient, our temporary, that we cannot trust in. The only constant, the only constant, the steadfast, Love of the Lord. When David looked back on his life, there is an incident that occurs toward the end of his life. And this is probably uh, the one that had the biggest consequence in the nation to other people. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1, the NIV reads, The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. God was angry at the nation Uh, We're not sure what exactly. King David, driven by power and pride, orders a census against the counsel of his closest advisor, a census, uh, the leader doing something against his advisor. It's kind of ironic. And the Lord becomes angry at David and the nation, and he judges them, punishes them. He gives David three choices. Would you want war? Would you want a famine? Or would you want a plague? And David says, I I can't handle the war or the long-lasting famine, but perhaps the plague. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 15, so the Lord sent a pestilence, a plague or a virus on Israel, from the morning until a point in time, and there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba, listen, 70,000 men. 70,000 men means that's an underreporting because if you count the women and children, there must have been so many more fatalities. And I'm not 
suggesting that what is happening today is a direct result of God punishing the nations for their sins. Really, we're living in a fallen world because of the original sin in Genesis chapter 3 already. But what I believe David would have experienced at that time is just a, a feeling of helplessness as his people were perishing. What is it? Why is it that David, in spite of all of that, can say in Psalm 103, he can sing that he has a God who heals all diseases? Why is it that he can write in Psalm chapter 23, even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because it's obvious that not everyone was saved from disease, not everyone escaped death. How is it that David can say, your rod and your staff, they comfort me? You know, I believe that the only reason why David could sing, bless the Lord, O my soul, is because he had an insight into God's plan. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, it is the Lord who gives David a promise. When your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house from my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That um, this kingdom that will be established will come from the line of David and we will welcome him later on uh, the son of David, Jesus of Nazarene, the Christ. That, David, that King David would have known through this promise that healing will not always happen in his lifetime. Though God does heal and deliver and redeem, listen, the coronavirus is merely an earthly virus. There is and was and has always been a more lethal virus that is lethal 100% of the time and that the virus of sin was unleashed on earth in, through the first sin. And that sin has plagued humanity ever since. It is indiscriminating. But praise be to God that a cure has been found and that cure was found in the blood of Jesus Christ. And for those who have received Jesus and his death on the cross have been saved not only from the ultimate penalty of sin, but the power of sin in this lifetime. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 says, But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace and, his, and with his wounds we are healed. You know, there was a, a video that circulated when in the city of Wuhan, uh, where this uh, pandemic uh, began, um, that a lot of the healthcare workers who came from other parts of China were stationed in Wuhan and they were leaving that particular city to go back home. And as they were uh, going on the bus, uh, people were cheering them on as they were at the airport. People were cheering them on as they were so happily uh, boarding their planes to go back home. 
And we'd like to think that, wow, this is a great story. And despite, you know, regardless of what you may think about um, what's happening there, that although they may have flattened the curve in some sense, listen, that back home or in Wuhan or in New York or in Italy or in Los Angeles or in Orange County, that in this lifetime, we are never fully immune from the ravages of sin and death. That there's only uh, full redemption, full healing through uh, what Jesus will do for us. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 4 and 5, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Listen, that is our hope. That is what Jesus brings for us and that is what David uh, looks forward to and that is why in verse 19 he says the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all we have this hope not only in this lifetime but in the future David began with a chorus and he ends with a chorus bless the Lord all his hosts him his ministers who do his will, bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. You know, I, if you're here this morning I, and you're a part of living hope, I, I want to give you this hope. Listen, and I'm, I'm saying this to you as your pastor, that that not everything in this lifetime will be fixed immediately, but you and I, we have the hope as children of God, as God's people, as Jesus' followers, that, that we have hope in this lifetime and the next, that we know that our treasure is not on this earth, that nothing in this world can, can destroy our souls, and so we rest in that that if you are here watching and you've never really uh, entered the doors of the church or you're just kind of thinking, in this particular life situation, uh, you want to tune in, you wanted to tune in to see what the church is saying, I want to say to you that we live not simply for our portfolio because how those things will crumble. That we do not uh, we lose hope in our own competency and what we can control because we realize really quickly that we can't control those things. But there is a steadfast love, a steadfast compassion of the Lord that is given to us through the blood of Jesus Christ who gives us forgiveness, who gives us hope. And I'm going to invite you to participate in that. I'm going to ask us right now, can you take a minute to pray? Lord Jesus, I, I, there's so much that I don't understand. There's so much that, uh, that I feel lost in. 
I don't know how to pray, but I come before you. I kneel before you. I confess to you that you give steadfast love, that it is not on the basis of my goodness do I deserve forgiveness in eternity, but on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross. And I receive that to save me from my sins and to give me hope for not only eternity, but in this lifetime, I pray in Jesus' name. You know, um, there's a song that we sing at Living Hope, and it's a, it's a great song with great words. It comes directly from Psalm 103. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praises, praise unending, 10,000 years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I'll worship your holy name. And, and in your homes, in your car, I, I don't want you just to like, look and observe, would you sing together uh, with uh, the band right now?